everyone. Welcome back to Zora's Daughters, the podcast where we share Black feminist perspectives and close read pop culture and other social topics that affect Black folks. I'm Melissa and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Hey y'all, I'm Brendan and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Today we're doing our semesterly structure-free episode. Whoop, whoop. Hey, hey. Um, so you'll just be hearing us speak freely about preparing for and attending academic conferences. Yes. And before all of our non-academic and advanced academics switch off, let me just say that conferences are often where the events happen that later become the tea that is spilled for years to come, some of which we may or may not be spilling, whatever will give us plausible deniability. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just we might I, have some things. We have some things. <laughs> might have some interesting little stories. I know, even just from AAA last year to the Ford conferences I've been to, just drama, drama <laughs> happens at these places, as well as some good learning and some good socializing. But before we get into that, we just want to thank all of you, our listeners, our supporters, our donors, and our contractors. Y'all, we just love y'all. Thank you. Uh, We could not get these episodes created and shared without donations and grants, without our social media assistant and our transcriptionists, right? Without all of you out there who are sharing episodes, and of course, you Yes, you who are listening or reading right now, uh, your contribution is plenty. But if you're saying to yourself, I get so much value from this podcast and I want to ensure its continuity, please become a patron at patreon.com slash Laura's Daughters. And another way you can support us is by leaving a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts because those really help. They really, really do. It helps those podcast platforms know that people actually like us and then they suggest us to other people. Mm-hmm. We also want to say up top that it's November. So coming up to the end of the year, end of the fiscal year for some departments, companies, you all are starting to think about your 2023 budgets. So if you would like us to do a workshop for Black History Month, Juneteenth, or any day because it's Black Feminism 365 over here, feel free to get in touch. We've done workshops on supporting Black women in the workplace, reclaiming your radiance, and finding joy in community for international companies, universities, and local organizations. We create custom workshops and talks that address the needs of your group and that people actually really enjoy. Mm -hmm. So head to zorasdaughters.com for more information and to send us an email. Right. We actually probably should get some reviews for those because (laughs) let's just say our workshops always hit, always hit. Mm -hmm. Um, So please hit us up. Help us keep the lights on, keep the bills paid. (laughs) Um, But without any further ado, yeah, let's get going on this episode. Yeah. So, I mean, usually this would be where we would have our what's the word segment. We, we are not going to have one today, but if we were going to have a word of the day, it would be Sayre's Law, which I say all the time. I just, anytime something ridiculous <laughs> in academia happens, I'm like, yeah, Sayre's Law. Sayre's Law states that, quote, in any dispute, the intensity of feeling is inversely proportional to the value of the issues at stake, end quote. 
So the law is named after Wallace San- Stanley Sayre, a U.S. political scientist and, of course, professor at Columbia <laughs> University, former. He's now deceased. But in 1973, Sayre was quoted as saying, quote, academic politics is the most vicious and bitter form of politics because the stakes are so low, end quote. <laughs> and look, only someone who has worked at Columbia could come up with something like this. Like <laughs> he really was plugged into these conversations because to create a whole law that really actually accurately describes what be going on. I mean, that's that's what a law is. A law is above a theory. <laughs> a law means that the theory has mostly pretty much been proven to be true. <laughs> Ooh. Wow. So if you get yourself a law named after yourself, then. Wow. Physics is know. making so much more sense now. Yes. <laughs> yes the law is why it's the law of gravity and not the theory of gravity. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, so we got some questions from Instagram and we're just going to, you know, we're going to go through some of those questions. But before we start doing that, we just want to, of course, give the caveat. We are speaking from our experience as anthropology students, anthropology graduate students, candidates. I have only been to two major conferences, one being CASCA, which is the Canadian Anthropological Society um conference and the AAA which is the American Anthropological Association conference and then a handful of graduate conferences and so I won't say which ones and I won't say which years in order to protect the guilty <laughs> <laughs> that's also to say that things might be different they probably are different at science conferences at mm-hmm. least in terms of how you might approach the conferences and giving talks and doing posters and things like that yeah. What conferences all, have you been to? Yeah, I've been to AAA. I've been to the National Women's Studies Association conference. I think that's like 2017. Ooh, we're not know. we're not giving years. We're not giving we're years. Not, oh, just kidding. Some <laughs> at some point in the recent past, I don't know. Um uh, the Society for Applied Anthropology is a really nice small conference. I've been to Ford conferences, even though, you know, because of what's happening with Ford this year, who knows if they'll continue to have those moving forward. And then I've presented and attended a couple of like roundtables, like the one that was last week, uh, the roundtable for Black feminist and womanist theory. I also realized while I was there that I was an anthropologist among philosophers and Mm was like, oh, wow, this makes so much sense about why these papers are talking about the things they're talking about. I just, I see something that looks fun online and I'm like, let me sign up. And I don't even really take into account whether I'm quote unquote supposed to be there or not, but it was a lovely round table. Um, yeah, it was, I was there on Zoom virtually. On Zoom. I was also there on Zoom because I couldn't, I could not imagine myself being in New Hampshire. Um, <laughs> could not but I think that there that. were some really, you know, gener- generative comments for you and um, also for your fellow panelists. So that was, that was cool. But conferences, one place to start is what are they good for? Yeah, what's the use? Go? Yeah. What's the use of attending them? 
Okay, for me, I would say it's threefold. So one, you are exchanging knowledge, right? You get to share your work, sometimes refe receive feedback, and then other times you get, you know, and then at the same time, you get to hear what other people are working on. Two is the networking opportunities. It's a time where you can meet people whose work you've read or work that you should read and for people to get to know your work. And three, socializing. This is the biggest mm -hmm. one. Conferences <laughs> are supposed to be fun. You get to catch up with your old cohort mates. You have random pr professors buy you drinks. And, you know, <laughs> they, they become a drinking buddy. It's, it's a surprise. Um, it's a shock. And basically what you get to see at these conferences is that academia is high school, but the geeks are the most popular. <laughs> what about uh, you? What, like, you know, what, what's the use for you going to conferences? Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with all three of those. I think that for my own personal use, though, I mainly use conferences to network or to socialize and or um, I've heard of people going to conferences when they want to apply for different jobs and things like that. So that's also a part of the networking. You, you know, you give away your business cards, you shake hands with folks, you kind of do this informal interview processes um, if you're interested in certain positions. Uh, and there are also have been conferences where they do um, workshops with different editors. So if you're trying to get your book published or something like that, you can also attend those. AAA does, a, I think, a pretty good job of like having different kinds of workshops for people who are in different stages of um, their career. There's also, I know that the Association for Black Anthropologists does an annual mentoring event. Uh, and so that's also like a really great event if you're a Black anthropologist and you want to know more um, more people in your stage of your career. It's like a really great event. And you get to talk to some of the like OGs there too. <laughs> and they're always, they're always fun because it's like, how did you do this during the time of like segregation, you know, or <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I mean, that's uh, not always the question, right? Like, how did you do this at the time when, like, Black people were still trying to be admitted to, like, non-HBCU institutions? Um, right. So, yeah. So, there's a, for me, though, I'm, like, I'm always down for a good, like, panel. Um, I give papers. Sometimes I try not to do more than two panels at a conference. Most conferences, I only do one. Um, and I don't really expect to get like a lot of feedback at those places. It's much more of like me practicing presenting and practicing, like seeing if my ideas make sense. Um, mm -hmm. and you can usually tell by the questions that people ask if you're being clear, um, or if you need to like expand or draw back on certain things. So I really, I enjoy that part too. Okay. So one of the questions is, how do you get your paper into an academic conference? Hmm. So there are multiple ways to do that. Um, you can sign up for like, usually people who are trying to do a panel and they don't really know or envision um, who's going to be on it as they're designing it, will put out a call for papers and you write up an abstract. That was actually how I got into 
my first conference at the Society for Applied Anthropologists, I just responded to uh, a call for papers. And that panel actually ended up turning into an edited volume, which is really, I think, really cool. So like to, to see that kind of that paper evolve from there to a chapter in a book. Um, so that's where I'm normally seeing like call for papers. Sometimes you might receive an invitation from a panel organizer if people know your work. Um, and other times you can just submit, depending on the conference, you can submit posters. I don't know if you've ever done that, like submit an mm -hmm. individual paper or poster to a conference. Yeah, I've done, I've done a poster and I've done papers at graduate conferences. And it's a pretty similar deal. You just, there's usually a call for papers or there's an abstract of a panel and you can submit, um, submit your paper to that specific panel. Mm -hmm. And then the people who are organizing it, they'll read the papers and then they'll put them together. And similar with conferences, the conference organizers, if it's a smaller conference, then they will read the papers or the abstracts. Usually it's an abstract that you submit. Mm -hmm. They'll read the abstract and then they'll group people together based on the similarity of their content. Yeah. Find, find themes and things like that. Yeah. And no one's, well, let me not say no one's because there are some truly exceptional people out there, but usually nobody's paper lives up to every word of their abstract. <laughs> so um, the abstract it always feels, especially for me, like always feels aspirational. Um, mm -hmm. Like this is what I want this paper to say. Mm -hmm. By the time you finally work through all of life to sit down to write it, it probably lives up, at least for me, lives up to about 50% of that. And then I'm like, okay, let's hope these questions help me figure, figure out the rest. <laughs> figure out the rest. <laughs> the responses help me figure out the rest or, you know, that's, it's above me once I submit it. So that's how I feel. Yeah, literally no one is looking at the abstract while, while you're doing the talk and saying, Hmm. It's abstract and what you said don't match up. What happened to this question that you said you were going to answer? Abstract. No, I've never seen that happen. It's between my, my ancestors. Exactly. <laughs> that that will only happen if you submit a paper to a journal, but that's another. Oh yeah. That's Ooh. a whole other story. Um Ooh, and we'd have okay. to bring someone in to talk about that one. Um <laughs> Ooh, that would be a good one. Journal. Well, I've published, but I wouldn't say it was a real publication. I don't know. And you've published now, so we could do an episode on it. But tell us if that's something you would be interested in. Yeah. Um, let us know on social media, and we'll plan something like that for next season, next semester. Um, okay, should I go to a conference as an undergraduate? All right. Hmm. I'm going I'm to I'm take this one. <laughs> take it. <laughs> I did not, I never went to any conferences as an undergraduate, but I was in psychology. So in, for the most part, and in psychology, unless you're doing research conferences, didn't even know about them. So I would say that it depends on the conference. I think something like the AAA might be a little bit intimidating unless mm -hmm. you're going to be there with, with a professor or a mentor who's going to be introducing you to people. But if you're going to a graduate conference that's being held at your university, then it's a good way to get to know people, get to know the kinds of things that people are researching and talking about in graduate school. Um, and then, you know, if 
if that is something that you're considering, then you can see if that might be something, if, if that's one thing that you're interested in, if that's actually where you see yourself, um, if you see yourself doing those kinds of activities, conference-like activities. So at a conference, there are probably five groups of people. So you have your, your grown-ups, <laughs> you have your senior scholars, <laughs> Who are there they're usually either promoting their book or they're probably just there to hang out with friends mm -hmm. or they are you know the plenary keynote speaker or something like that um, or organizing then you have your mid-career scholars and they're also probably there to promote a book some of them hold leadership roles at the conferences so i think that's great or they're presenting their research but also hanging out and catching up with friends. <laughs> then you have your untenured scholars, your, your junior professors um, who are working on, you know, getting a line on their CV mm -hmm. and they're just presenting some of their work because they're trying to add things to their CV so that they can get tenure. Um, they're also there to hang out with their friends, not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> then we get to the group that we are more familiar with, which is the <laughs> desperate, recent PhDs and usually you know they're they're interviewing for jobs they're networking handing out those business cards as Brendan said mm -hmm. please <laughs> giving a paper job. on doing a round table whatever else that they can they can sort out just to make sure that their name is out there that people know what they're working on so that they can get a damn job mm -hmm. then you have the group that is us so the graduate students, you know, we're kind of there, might present a paper, might be doing a poster, learning about how conferences work, maybe presenting, um, you know, making friends, also seeing friends, of course, because you make friends over the span of your career, maybe people you went to undergrad with, maybe people that you are, um, you know, that you know vaguely through similar research interests and stuff. So what undergraduates might do is probably present a poster. Right. And I think just to add on to what you're saying, the, when I've seen undergraduates at conferences, they've usually done research with the professor and the professor invites them to come and talk about it. Or this is like a, a junior or senior in college who has a really developed thesis project or, or some sort mm -hmm. and they really want to and they know that they're going to go into academia and they just want to have that um extra leg up um in a sense of just like having that experience of presenting at conferences I've never witnessed an undergraduate present at a conference and it be humiliating or something that was like not a good experience most scholars are very supportive and because it's just like you know, this is the future of the discipline. So we need to offer that kind of support. Um, but I would suggest if you are an undergrad and you want to go to a conference, first of all, don't pay for it. Um, do mm -hmm. not do get somebody else to pay for it. Ask a mentor professor to think if they have extra money in their research budgets or just in life in general, if they got it like that. Can they help support you? um by paying for travel and other kinds of kinds of expenses um poster printing expenses 
or if the conference itself has um, different uh, competitions or contests or grants for undergraduates to attend, because there are certain um, conferences that encourage undergraduate participation. I know the Society for Applied Anthropologists have some grants for students and there are, are open to undergraduates as well. Um, so just thinking, you know, there are different ways to make sure that you're not spending your, your college monies on this. Um, and, you know, you get to meet folks in the discipline and, uh, you know, get to make, get started on making those relationships that are really going to be pivotal, pivotal for you when you enter into graduate school. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about funding. And that wasn't a question, surprisingly, because people always seem to want to ask us about money and funding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So how does one go about getting funding for conferences? Is it possible? Do people pay out of pocket? What should we do? Child. So <laughs> conferences, that's why I said do not pay for yourself. Conferences are so expensive. Uh, I'm going to AAA. By the time y'all hear this, I will be at the AAA. You, unlike last year, might actually see me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not where I live so I will have to be outside of my house um but just in booking the flight booking the hotel food transportation um my budget for this conference is two thousand dollars do I have two thousand dollars to give to anybody no um so what what um what I've well, since I'm on the board for AAA, they they are reimbursing me. So there are different opportunities that you can have for reimbursement. Or if you are someone who has a job that will pay for certain professional development funds, then you can also take that route and say, you know, this is for my professional development. Get your employer to cover it. If you are a graduate student like us with um, at a university that has these kind of very, very low reimbursement policies. Like I think, I think Columbia only reimburses us for up to $500 per conference, depending on which fund you reach out to. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you have a professor who really believes in you and your work and is going to give some money out of their research budget for you. Um, and then most professors- Matching funds. They're matching, matching funds. funds. So if you do receive uh, a grant, like- what Brendan was talking about earlier, um, then with those matching funds, or with matching funds, you can apply and they'll match whatever amount of the grant that you got, which I annoyingly did not apply for last year. <laughs> and I Look. did not get re reimbursed for my AAA time. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I, there are some awards to certain um, sections and groups have awards for students. Um, so they'll pay for you to go or they'll reimburse you up to a certain amount um what is really fucked up about conference funding is that a lot of it though is reimbursed is reimbursement based it's mm -hmm. not um it's not truly an equitable process for folks especially those of us who are first generation come from low-income backgrounds who don't have you know credit cards or other lines of you know finances in order to finance a two thousand dollar trip and there are multiple conferences like AAA. I had to make the conscious decision to only go to one conference this year. And I know folks who have gone to, 
we're going to all the conferences in November. So there's like three or four happening this month. Um, NWSA, AAA, ASA, um, the Latin Studies Association, I think is having one this month too. Like, and the Africanist, maybe that was last month, but like the Africanist Studies Association, like, it's it's conference season. Conference season and two thousand dollars. It can a, add up. It can add up. Two thousand dollars a piece, so I could talk. Mm. That's a lot. <laughs> to a I room of three people, mm. <laughs> possibly. <laughs> if that, or is it just me and other panelists talking to each other? You know, so which is fine. Sometimes those panels are the best ones. I'm not gonna lie. When I go to panels and there are you know, one, there's one other person in the room, then the panelists just start talking to each other. And I'm like, this is actually really interesting when people engage with other people's work right. instead of just trying to get their, get their own ideas across. It becomes something collective instead of just an individual. That's what, that's one thing I'll ask. Maybe I'll save that for the later question, but that's one thing that bugs me about panels is they're not really, they don't feel collective. They just feel Mm-mm. like, individuals in the same space yeah and it's it's really up to them the moderator and the organizer of the panel roundtable etc to really put papers in conversation with each other or set a structure that isn't the usual well I've got 12 double space pages here I'm going to read out to you and you better be listening because I don't have no powerpoint um and I'm just (laughs) Just going to poke fun at our own department because that seems to be the the mode of presentation. So (laughs) in our own department. So yeah, and and which, and we can get into this later, but there are some ways to present that don't fall into these kind of like ableist um, academic presentation modes. Um, But yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think you covered the funding. So... What should I do if I'm going to a conference for the first time alone? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. I've definitely done that. I went to a conference in DC, uh, American. And I just, why? I think I just went as an excuse actually to go hang out with my friend who lives in DC. <laughs> I maybe went to one day of that conference, one panel or two panels. They are interesting panels. Nevertheless, um, I would say the first thing you want to do is reach out to your professors Mm -hmm. and ask if they know anyone who will be attending that they might be able to connect you with. And then that way you can start setting coffee dates or, you know, know to look out for them, go to their panel and you can go and talk to them. The other thing you can do is look at the program and email people whose work seems interesting, something that you might like. And ask if you can meet up at the conference, maybe meet up for a coffee, something like that. I'm assuming that this person is not presenting at the conference. I think if you're just going to see what's happening in, I was going to say in the industry, but yes, I guess academia is an industry. Mm -hmm. If that's what you're going to do, then I think that's totally fine to just reach out to people and and say, hey, I, I like your work and I see that you're going to be at this conference. Um, you know, would you, would you be available to meet up for for coffee for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, something like that. And then when you're there, just talk to people, introduce yourself to people. And we'll get into this a little bit more later because I know that that's not everybody's forte is to just be like, 
hi, I'm Melissa. How are you? Let me, <laughs> let's hang out. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's part of the experience. I've never gone up to someone and said, oh, I really liked what you had to say about X, Y, Z, and then be like, ugh, that was just the most boring approach I've ever heard. <laughs> like no one's ever said that to me. Usually they are, they're like, oh, thank you. What are you working on? You know, what are you interested in? And then you have an opportunity to speak in that way. And then, you know, you can also just keep it brief. Be like, yeah, I'd love to continue this conversation another time. Take their card, give them your card, and then email them after and meet up on Zoom or something when you've had more time to reflect on what you might want to talk to them about. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I'm like, have I ever been to a conference where I wasn't technically like alone in the sense that like I didn't, hmm, besides Ford, I feel like Ford, I was there to meet friends. But um, the things that I, I'm of the kind of person that like, if I know so-and-so is going to be at this conference and this is someone that I wanted to talk to for a while, I'm going to find you. Um, and not in like a... <laughs> I, I just thought, I just thought about that <laughs> show with that white man that be killing people on it but like not that you? one you oh that's the name of it I couldn't remember it. you <laughs> not like that I, I was I thinking just, wedding crashers <laughs> oh oh I've never seen that movie well in Ella Fisher she's like I don't go anywhere I'm fine you. <laughs> anyways the whole thing <laughs> Well, yeah, then yes, that is, that is definitely what I will do. Um, and especially if it's, um, like really an elder, like I will like go up and introduce myself, or if I know a professor who can introduce me to, to that person, then I will ask that too. I've tried to like email people before I've never usually gotten a response, um, which, I understand now that like a lot of scholars go to conferences really to just like hang out with their friends um, and not necessarily meet up with some strange person that just <laughs> email, you know? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I, I wasn't thinking about scholars since, well, I mean, we're all scholars, aren't we? I wasn't thinking about professors. I was actually thinking about at, at a graduate student conference, for example, mm. to reach out to your peers. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Well, my peers, I just... You know, this is how I make friends. I bother people until we're friends. That is basically <laughs> how it works. I attach myself to you until you agree to be my friend. Um, so <laughs> that's how I work with that. Um, but yeah, with peers, I, I find it to feel a lot less pressure because most of the time, everyone else is also feeling the same kind of nervousness about being there and not really feeling sure about what to do or what to say or things like that. Um, panels are, if you're on a panel, it's, it's a really good way to meet people, especially if you're on a panel with um, some scholars who are more established because usually um, then you have a reason to kind of like talk to them, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, you know, then you were on the panel with me. And a lot of times they will introduce you to other people. Um, if you're you're blessed to have a mentor who's also at the conference, possibly just you know saying, "Hey, can we grab dinner and let's talk about some tips for meeting this person or this person?" And usually, um, usually they're amenable to that. Like uh, Lee Baker, 
he is an amazing, I would say he's an amazing mentor in the sense that he is always um, willing to introduce me to someone, um, even if the introduction might embarrass me a little bit. It's, you know, <laughs> why, he, why would it embarrass you? <laughs> because he's, he's known me for, oh my gosh, for like 11 years. So um, he has seen me young little 18 year old Brendane um to <laughs> the person that I am now and so definitely has some stories um <laughs> definitely have some stories about me with him but also you know some of these professors have some pretty big research budgets and like Alyssa was saying you can hang out with somebody and maybe they'll be a drinking buddy maybe they'll buy you <laughs> dinner um but if you are going to a conference for the first time alone, I would really suggest if there are like affinity group meetings or business meetings for different affinity groups, just going there. Um, if you're shy, you know, you don't have to approach people, but just observe. And if you see that there are people that you might want to get in contact with later, um, you know, taking their name down and then later emailing them saying you saw them at the conference and you wanted to, you know, continue a conversation or you thought they made a great point about X, Y, Z. Um, but there's so many different ways to kind of break out of that aloneness. Um, if you, if you want to, if it feels comfortable to you. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, like I, you can, and, you, and you can just, I think you can email people and just say, I would just love to chat to you and, and get to know how you got to where you are. I think I got caught out mm -hmm. with that once where I I was just like, I don't really know how to do this reaching out to people. And I thought, you know, maybe I need to have a reason to reach out. And people were just, you know, kind of like, you don't need that. You can, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this labor for you, but, you know, I'm happy to meet and chat to you. And I was like, oh, I went about this all wrong. So, you know, it's completely fine to just say, hi, I would you know, just like to meet you and learn about you. And some, you know, some professors will be like, I'm too busy for people who are not my students. Other people who are like, oh, this is someone who has a shared interest and, you know, is going to be growing this part of the discipline, this part of our field. And so I would be happy to get to know what they're working on and what their work is and, you know, see how I can help them. So yeah. Just don't, don't be afraid of rejection. I think that's, that's where my, <laughs> my concern oh, yeah. with like reaching out to people were is it's going to happen, but you know, for every five people you reach out to, maybe one will say no. So yeah. not that bad. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And, you know, just, I would also say like being realistic about your expectations. So like mm -hmm. if you're going to a conference where Dr. Joy James is giving a talk and you, you know, if you're like me and you're like, wow, I really wish that I could be her friend, even though I know that's not possible. You're right. Um, <laughs> you know, having realistic expectations in the sense that even if you do contact her, there are probably also hundreds of other people who are also doing that. Um, and she may not have time to respond to you. Um, but that doesn't mean that you did anything, you know, wrong or you shouldn't reach out because you might, you might catch her on a good day and a good moment mm -hmm. and a good time. Um, and sometimes it's also easy to catch kind of busier scholars um, or more senior scholars in between panels or things that they're doing. Like you might catch them in the hallway, you might um, catch them, you know, 
on their way to different events. And it might, you might be able to talk to them for a few minutes and, and, you know, follow up after the conference. So there are just, there are other ways to really just network, even if you are kind of feeling that first time alone jitters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good time to lean on your mentors as mm-hmm. well. Um, is if you didn't want to meet a Joy James, for example, then, you know, maybe you have someone who have a professor or a mentor who might be able to introduce you. And even if that professor only has, you know, two minutes for you, it's, it's, it's an opening. And, you know, it's something that will allow you to be recognizable if you do email that person in the future. All right. What was your best and or worst conference experience? <laughs> oh god okay Ooh. my I don't know if I have a worst worst oh actually I do have a worst worst um I don't know if I shared this before but I went to a conference was not being very diligent about my own personal safety um and ended up in an unsafe situation with uh, someone more senior than myself. I'm trying to be as vague about this as possible. Um, And left that conference, left that experience feeling like, wow, I really could have had a much worse um, interaction with that person. Um, But a a lighter worst would be a Ford conference. I'm going to put the date on this one. Uh, not, not protecting the guilty on this. <laughs> Ford Conference 2018. Oh, shoot. She's putting a date on it. Oh, Lordy. And, okay. I mean, I don't know if these people listen to it or not. If you do, then girl, yeah, I'm talking about you. I, my friend Katrina, who is at UChicago, she's finishing up her PhD in astrophysics. I can say I know an astrophysicist. I'm so happy to say that. Um, We were almost, we almost got into a a fight with another group of women over one of my other friends. It was very strange. Um, And it was very obvious that like, there was some weird competitive energy happening. um, And people assume that they were in competition with us for um, this person's affections. But it was like, (laughs) bro, we just met each other yesterday. Like, I, I don't know. I also never been that pressed over a man. So I just, I really didn't understand it. But I'm like, (laughs) I have never actually had that kind of experience in a professional environment where I actively felt like someone was trying to put me down to make themselves look better for whatever perceived chance they had with a man. I just, I just have never. mm. If if that man was interested in them, then they deserve each other. (laughs) No, the thing is like he, okay. If he listens, I'm going to, this is going to be hilarious. Anyway, so he was not even paying any attention. Like he was like not even registering that it was going on. And it wasn't until after that I like brought it up to him. I was like, do you understand that car ride from the liquor store to the beach was the most uncomfortable car ride I've ever had? And it's like six of us in a van. And 
these <laughs> these women are like trying to attack me and my friends. It was so weird. I'm like, aren't we aren't we all here to learn from each other? I'm confused. Um, and like, you know, if you're trying to get stuff popping in your hotel room. You can do that. Just don't involve me. Like it doesn't have to involve me. Um, that's all I'm gonna say on that <laughs> one for our listeners. But if y'all want to know more, you know, maybe ZD after dark, I could tell that story because it was truly a saga. <laughs> like, oh, that I was gonna I be. Was I was. Like, I was gonna talk about ZD. <laughs> <laughs> ZD after dark. I really thought. Except I was that was my best. Up. No, go ahead. Oh, see, I wish, I wish. Conference day, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't add that to the other reasons why people go to conferences. Some, some people have conference days, but that's not the here nor there. Um, oh yeah, true, 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 true. Best, let's see. I would say my favorite conference experience has been, I would say another Ford, but a different one. So not, not that one where. I'm, we were about to square up in a van on the way to the <laughs> beach. But the other one I went to, that was in San Juan, was in uh, Puerto Rico. I went to about two panels and two minutes of a keynote. And I spent the rest of my time on the beach. Uh, playa. Um, <laughs> vamos a la playa. And it was... It was lovely. It was lovely. And I went like dancing in the in one of the spots. And like it was it was a great trip. So mm-hmm. and like not even anything to do with giving the pain. <laughs> <laughs> like all mine really is a, neither, none of mine. Uh, I, I will never regret more not going to Casca in Cuba. I think it was in 2017. What? That was that was a mistake. Uh, wow. for my for my social life apparently the, wow. the conference itself was um very difficult because technical issues and mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things but people had a blast nevertheless okay so my best experience is uh when i went to casca i did a poet was it wow can you remember the year anyways maybe cuba wasn't 2017 then i think cuba might have been 2018 anyhow I went to Casca, I did a poster, and there was this panel about food. And it was, it was actually the best panel I've ever been to because it was very interactive. People actually had food there. I think one woman was doing her research on crickets and other kinds of edible insects. So she was passing around insects and we were eating things. And yes, anyways, food anthropology stuff. Um, Yes, there is something squeaking in my background. It is bugs, Brendan. <laughs> oh, okay. So okay. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if you if you've been listening to the most recent episodes, but because we've been recording later at, in, at night, there are we have the sounds of like cicadas and other bugs outside, and here it is. So y'all, this is just just think of it as the soundtrack, the authentic soundtrack to my Caribbean life. Mm. And, um, I love that. I I was like I didn't never heard it before, so I think I don't know. Maybe my ears are doing something different today. If anyway, you listen, I'm if sorry. you listen to the podcast, <laughs> if you listen to the previous episodes, you'll hear it. And people have 
told me that it exists and I've been like, I'm not taking it out because to do that would just take so long. So just, you know, close your eyes, everyone, and pretend that you're sitting in a very hot and humid room with no fan on, <laughs> no air conditioning, so that you could record a podcast for all of these lovely listeners. Anyhow, so that panel, as I said, very fun, very interactive. Afterwards, one of the professors who was on the panel uh, took everyone out and um, I started hanging out with the grad students and we ended up going out after and then meeting up. I think I took someone's Facebook or something like that. Yes, it was a Facebook days, y'all, okay. And um, yeah, we went to some people's house. They had a little house party, then we went to a bar. The bar, then we went from that bar, we went to a club or something like that. And then I ended up having late night food. And then there's, you know, more to that story, but that is for a ZD After Dark episode that will probably never come. <laughs> I know we're making these promises. Like, <laughs> we're going to, I mean, it's like, do I want to divulge my dirty secrets? <laughs> no. <laughs> no not um and then the worst i i don't have a i don't have a worst worst my worst was probably just the time that i gave a paper and i had the flu mm. i felt terrible i i think i drove to the university just to give the paper because i was on the panel and i did my paper and then i left right after so i didn't see anyone else's i didn't i didn't actually attend the conference <laughs> i just felt very ill and I went back home. It was just a graduate student conference, so it's oh, okay. okay. But yeah, it wasn't one that I paid $2,000 for. Oh, girl. The way I would have, I was like, not you just said leave meeting and then. And <laughs> <laughs> call. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was bad. I was, I was actually face down on the desk for a little bit. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was just like, oh, my God, I feel terrible. Was my paper that important? No. Would I do that today? Probably not. I would just be like, sorry, y'all, I'm sick. Here's my paper. Or I would mm -hmm. record something and send it. That's it. I, but you know, those are my early days when perfection is the standard. So Oof. Oof. Trying to, Oof. I'm trying to escape. Oof. <laughs> trying to let go. Me too. So, speaking of giving a paper, what are some tips? Tips. Um, I think the common mistake that people make is that they basically read a paper that they would write and not read a paper that they would say. Uh, and the distinction I'm making there is there are certain things that we do in our writing that don't translate well to reading and don't translate well to speaking. Citations, having a whole bunch of citations, having long uh, extended quotes from people, um, having the kind of tangents that we tend to go on in writing, um, trying to do that speaking, unless you have a way to kind of signpost to people like through a presentation or like a, um, what do they call it? PowerPoint slides, or PowerPoint. deck slides, you know, something like that. Um, I've been to some really dry presentations um, and I will be honest, not from black people, and what has, <laughs> and the thing, the distinguishing factor has really been that the person, you can, you can tell when someone um, 
basically wrote the paper on the way to the conference and didn't take the time to like either read it out loud or time themselves to make sure that it actually fits within the time limit um, and make sure that they're not introducing too many new concepts into one paper. Because this is not the same as like a journal article. Um, I like to think about giving papers as like pulling out one or two really interesting things or thoughts that I've had about XYZ subject and expounding on them in a way that like actually makes it compelling for people to hear. Um, and yeah, uh, I wouldn't, I just would not do the traditional academic thing or the, I'm just speaking from our own department, just the <laughs> thing of like standing up in front of people with 20 double space pages and <laughs> reading as if you know you're reading to yourself not even as if you're reading to someone else um and expecting for people to be able to follow along uh, those those are my big tips yes i for me i would say keep to the time mm, please and make it interesting you have 10 maybe 15 minutes and you know what go with 10 Go with ten. everyone. Everyone will love you for it. Just go with 10. I think that when you're planning your paper, just think about what is the data you're drawing on. So everyone loves a good vignette, but what's the data you're drawing on and what's your in intervention? You only have 10 or 15 minutes. That's really, that's really the most that you can say. And I think that I mean, of course, there's a little bit, you've got to put a little bit of analysis in there. You can't just be like, here's a story. Here's what I'm saying, because here's why I'm saying Foucault is wrong, because he doesn't know about X, Y, Z. There's a little bit of analysis that needs to be done in between to bridge those things. But that should be like the main crux takeaway of your, of your panel paper. Right. Like I don't come to panels to hear you summarize what somebody else has said about a topic. I could, yeah. I could just read that or I mean, to be honest, am I going to read it? I could just find it <laughs> at another time. Um, if I'm attending a panel, it's like, because I'm really interested in, in learning about this person's intervention in whatever subject. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think especially for graduate students, we have, you know, because of the structure of graduate school where they infantilize us, but also expect us to be adults. And then also, you know, this is supposed to be professional training program, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of times we come to conferences, we come to the conference table with papers that are heavily, like citation heavy, mm -hmm. quotation heavy. Um, and don't really bring our own interesting insights and things to it. Um, and so one of the things that I've really just challenging myself and also other graduate students who I present with are just like, no, make the paper about you. If people want to know who you read, they can ask you a question, you know, mm -hmm. um, exactly. They can ask you a question and be like, okay, well, you know, what theorists are you drawing on? Let give people something to ask you about, basically, right? Like these talks. Yes, can't leave be a little bit of mystery. A little something. It's Scorpio season. Mine as well. Minus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, what is? Oh, this is a good one. What is your best advice for asking questions at a panel, and how do you handle the questions you get after a presentation? For me personally, I freeze and then try not to cry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so this question is for Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> um, asking questions. I, I think I have a really astute ability to ask questions. Um, and usually I guess I can try to unfurl how my brain works as I'm listening to someone following along their presentation. Um, and if, and I'm interested in the subject, that's also something <laughs> that important. Key. That, that is, is key. key. Um, I'm thinking, okay, what is this, what is missing from this person's presentation and not in like a critique kind of way. Um, even though, Alyssa and I joke all the time that we're kind of trained up in a department where we know, we know how to ask questions, honey. And we know how to oh, ask questions. do we ever? <laughs> in, a, in a way that will definitely make you feel like you have not done enough work because we have seen it modeled for us a lot. Um, <laughs> we have seen it modeled quite a lot. And so what I'll say is that like, as I'm listening to someone, it's usually thinking about, okay, what's, what's missing or what um, what can be extended here? Uh, a lot of times people ask questions that really are more like comments. So it's like, well, I work on blah, blah, blah. And I see that you do this. And, you know, I'm just wondering about da, da, da. But it's not really a wonder. It's more of a, you should be, um, you should be doing this in a sense. Um, and I try to stay away from that. I think for me, if I have a comment, I say up front, I say, actually, what I have to say is more of a comment and not a question. Um, so that way the person to, as a, as a gift to the person who's having to listen to me talk. So they don't, they know that they don't have to try to figure out an answer to what I have to say, or necessarily have a response to what I have to say. Um, and then if I do have a question, I'll, I'll point to something that really interested me in the, um, in their presentation that may have confused me or something that might have intrigued me and a, gen a genuine place of like, I want to learn more. So for example, if someone's talking about Saidia Hartman's scenes and they pull out something that I think is really interesting, right, then I might ask them a question about, you know, what was it about that particular thing that they pulled out that really kind of ignited their interest in X, Y, and Z or something like that? Um, how do I handle questions? I prefer to receive, like if I can choose, I prefer to receive all of the questions at one time and give my, so I can have time to like write answers or write notes to myself um, before I answer the best advice that I've ever been given about answering questions at conferences is take the time, take the time to give an answer, right? It's not an interview. So you don't need to worry about how people perceive you, right? Um, if it's a genuine question, then it's, it's just a matter of like giving yourself the time and space to actually give an answer. There are certain questions that are not genuine questions though. They're actually critiques that are mass as like, missiles. Um, <laughs> and with those, um, I find it, if I know the answer to, or if I know where the person is trying to go with the question, then I usually, um, just respond in a way that's like, you know, um, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, the question I used to get a lot that used to annoy me would be um, usually from white women or, or non-black women who would ask, um, 
you know, why don't you include other groups of people into your work? And so my response to those questions are always um, something along the lines of, um, you know, I, I do research that allows me to understand more of my experience in the world and the experience of women like me. Um, there are other research projects that center XYZ group of people. Um, and I don't think I would have anything meaningful to add to these set of conversations. And I just leave it at that. Um, Boom, and, mic drop. Right. Like, I I mean, I think I might have told you or said on the podcast, like one time I got a question about like, why don't I do a comparative study of what Black women in political movements in the U.S. are doing to like what white women in, in Nazi Germany were doing? Um, I never told you about that. <laughs> I don't think right so. and you're laughing because it's actually a ridiculous question right like why why would anyone ask that so and my response was just you know those are two completely different political projects um that to me have no comparisons and sometimes I'm learning now sometimes the way I respond to people might embarrass them because I, I can be pretty direct about things but like <laughs> I oh I love it I personally love it. <laughs> like, and sometimes, me. sometimes they deserve it. <laughs> like, don't, ask me no bull- don't ask me no bullshit like that. But, you know, you, you can get some wild questions. Um, and sometimes the best response to a question is with a question or to ask someone to ex- expound upon what they're talking about. Or if you feel like it was really like an attack um, saying that, you know, you know, I don't have a response to those are, you could say something like, those are great points that you bring forward. Um, I'm going to take some time to like process that and integrate that. Um, Thank you for your feedback. You don't have to make an invitation to continue the conversation or anything like that. You could just say, I'm going to take some time to process. Thank you for your feedback and keep it moving. Because the last thing you want, unfortunately, as a Black woman doing this kind of work is for anybody to say that you were not trying to listen to whatever the hell they got to say. <laughs> you know, and so you just find kind of like those canned responses for people who, you know, are not trying to actually better your work, but um, try to instill some kind of insecurity in you about it. Mm. For me, for the second question, you know, how do you handle the questions um, that you get after presentation? I wasn't joking. I do sometimes freeze and I sometimes, well, probably more than sometimes, especially ever since I started my PhD, I've realized how much my anxiety has gone up, honey, increased honey, since I've been here. And the book <sighs> that I read was very helpful in understanding, in understanding why. Um, Ooh, what's but anyways, book? how to be yourself. I'll talk about it later. Yes. Okay. But anyway, so if I don't know, how, if I don't necessarily know how to answer or I'm kind of like frozen, I'll usually just pick up on one part of the question, like a mm-hmm. word. And I just pull it that thread if I have, especially if I don't. That's really a great know, strategy, especially if I don't understand what their question is. Right. So, you know, you should I think if you write a paper like what we were talking about earlier, where you talk about your data and your intervention, then you should pretty much have two or three points that you want people to take away from your paper. So whatever the question is, you can try and tie it back to the, to one or two or three of those points. 
So if someone asks me a question like, um, you know, coffee isn't necessarily a food, you're on a food panel. How does thinking of coffee as food allow you to think about coffee as heritage? Okay, like, I don't even really know what that question is asking. <laughs> <laughs> but that's one of those examples of a question that's like, not a question. It's not a question, it's a comment. It's more yeah. of a like, a, yeah, it's like, just because you don't think it's, coffee it's is a critique. Food. It's critique veiled as a question, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so coffee isn't necessarily a food, food heritage, coffee. Why is coffee heritage? Okay, so in that instance, I would be like, all right, you know, the point of my paper is um, heritage preservation is positively correlated with feelings of threat and crisis. So when people start increasing heritage discourse, it's usually because they have these feelings of their uh, livelihood and their identity being threatened and in crisis. So I would just be like, thanks for your question. What you said made me think of one of my interlocutors who was, you know, giving away coffee plants because he said he didn't want us to lose ancestral knowledge. So he's feeling this, this crisis, um, his crisis is like knowledge loss and coffee and its cultivation is integral to ensuring that, um, you know, that knowledge is retained and passed on. And so coffee is a part of food and agricultural heritage. That's how I'd answer it. I don't even think I answered the question. I also didn't really know what the question was about. <laughs> so I said I addressed food, heritage, coffee. There you go. Use the keywords, made sure that I made my point about crisis, um, about crisis and threat. So you also, so there's that. You also have the option to clarify, right? You know, you can just say, is XYZ what you're asking? Is I think mm -hmm. what you're getting at is this? And then you answer that question. You it's you know, it's like a straw man thing. <laughs> you reframe their question to an answer to a question you can actually answer. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> and I have that is actually a like both of those um answers or tools or strategies or things that I've witnessed um, people do at conferences a lot, actually, mm -hmm. especially the reframe, the reframe um, to, the question to answer a question that you, that you want to answer. Um, I think that's a very politician, but it, it also, <laughs> I think to me, when, when folks do that, to me, it signals like them setting a boundary around, you know, around like things to answer. Um, it signals them knowing what their paper is about and that right. the question has nothing to do with what their paper was about right? or and what their project overall is about. I just want to uh, like echo you saying that there's nothing wrong with asking someone to repeat a question or to clarify. And especially if you feel like it's one of those critiquey questions, just asking someone to actually clarify might, they might have to say, oh, wait, I have to repeat this critique that I made um <laughs> in a different way and then hmm, I didn't really have a question the first time so maybe now I have to actually attach a question to it um yeah but I would say that most of the time at conferences outside of the just kind of like uh ridiculous questions I might get from uh non-black women about who the people I choose to like work with um most of the questions I've gotten at conferences have just been like what are you reading? Um, yeah. Like, what are you mm. reading questions? Or like, yeah, just people asking me for citations and, and sources and things. Um, 
or I'll get comments that suggest for me to read other things. And then I just add them to the ever growing list of things <laughs> I need to read. Um, Tell me about it. Tell me about <laughs> it. When it's I think like, the, okay. the, the last thing we'll say on this one is it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know. I don't know. know. Mm -hmm. I, don't know. I know. I know. Brendan knows. We all as graduate students know because we are by and large perfectionists. But saying, I don't know, when you assume people believe you should know is really hard. So we know. We know. But it's totally okay to say it. I've heard senior scholars say it. I've heard mid-career scholars say it. And you know, it's, it's totally fine. It's, if you think about it, it's an opportunity for you to see where your gaps in knowledge are mm -hmm. and for you to go out and, and learn the answer. And you just say, you know, I, I don't really know. Thank you so much for pointing that out. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and think more about that um, as I finish writing my dissertation or as I, you know, proceed through writing this book. Like, you can pretty much just assume that most people's papers are um, works in progress mm -hmm. because, oh, you know, that would be, that probably would have been, oh, you know what, I'll save it for, <laughs> I'll save it for the next question, which is, have you ever seen someone get absolutely roasted for their paper? Ooh, have I? <laughs> okay. Have not, I? not, I will say not at a conference. Not at a conference. Not at a conference <laughs> yet, but I will say that definitely people, Sometimes people will come in, come to the university or you'll go to another talk elsewhere and they're, they're presenting completed work. They might be presenting a chapter of a book that is already in publication. It may not have come out yet, but it's in publication. And you'll have some professors, you will have some scholars. And you know what? Sometimes it's, it's the usually a white man, white cis man, mm -hmm. graduate student too, <clears throat> thinks he knows everything who will find some kind of logical fallacy in the 20 minute presentation that this person just gave about their book, which is a work of maybe 200 pages that they've mm -hmm. now condensed into 20 pages. Or you'll have the professor who will be like, I can't believe that you didn't cite me without saying, I can't believe you didn't cite me. Right. <laughs> and they'll be like, they'll start kind of, describing or quoting their work at them and be like, what I actually think you're talking about is this particular concept that I've worked really hard to develop and somehow you found a way around actually using that concept in your work. And that seems really irresponsible because I'm the foremost, <laughs> I'm the foremost scholar on that topic. <laughs> Yeah, those those conversations are always awkward because then you're just sitting in the audience like, oh, girl, how do you, you know, if someone did that to me, I think I would just approach it. Well, okay, depending on the person, I would approach it pretty humbly and just be like, I, you know, that's an oversight on my part. Thank you for that. I will. Be, do you have works of yours that you suggest I start with, you know, or something like that, right? Um, and yeah, something like that ever happened to me. I'd be like, the, the thing that I would love to see is someone be like, actually, I did read your, your work, but since I'm presenting to your department, I decided to uh, keep out my critique of it to not embarrass you. <laughs> Period. You know, but when though, the book comes out, but when the book comes out, 
Oh, or, or yeah, the response. I actually engage with your work at length in in my work, but I decided to just bring a small excerpt of this um, just for this presentation today. But if you would like to have a more sustained conversation about um, your contributions and how I see them aligning and maybe misaligning with my own, let's have a talk over dinner, period. You know, um, let's see, roasted. I, yeah, not at a conference. I think Mo because you tend to choose where you go at a conference. Usually conferences have so many options that you are not likely to have someone there who doesn't want to be there one and doesn't isn't really supportive of your work, even if they might ask you a critiquing question. Um most people are good natured, even in their critiquing questions. There are some folks who are not. Um, but they, but their questions and critiques make it, um, very obvious that they are not there to support you. I have seen, and we're probably making reference to the same kind of paper sharing space. I have seen people get absolutely roasted, um, and mm -hmm. they well-deserved, well-deserved. I mm -hmm. saw a presentation. I don't know if you were, I'm not add too many names to this. I saw a presentation of someone doing <laughs> research on uh, a figure from the 1970s who spent a lot of his time uh, having, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this term, but I'm going to change it later, having sex with animals, which, you know, is not something that you do. Animals cannot consent to that, right? Um, so raping animals. I was not there. You were not there. That was, and I'm not going to name the kind of animal because if folks from our department, they, they will know who I'm talking about. And the questions, quote unquote, that came out after that, I was like, I would never speak publicly again. I, <laughs> but also probably should feel that shame because there are some things that should be left to die in the archive. I think I think research about bestiality is not something I it's not one of my intellectual interests. I will put it that way. Yeah. Um and leave it there. But the roasting that happened, I was like, wow. And then the slight roasting in that same space of another prominent scholar um, about some of the connections that were being made. Um between their personal life and their research life that were very questionable. Um, mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, I understand as a white person that you feel like every space is your space to develop and bloom and be blah, blah, blah. But actually, no, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> it shouldn't be this way. So um <laughs> yes same space definitely seen some talks that were not ready to be given and should, that should that, stay on the cutting room floor it should have stayed on the train which is where that particular scholar wrote it um <laughs> and i think i and another scholar <laughs> tried to ask a, re a redemptive question 
And the person giving this talk dug themselves deeper. Wow. <laughs> Double wow. down on the problematic remarks hmm. of the paper. Um, so you see, there are even, even when you're messing up, there are some, there are some good natured people out there who will try to help you. Sometimes their question as comment will actually try to help you. They'll kind of give you the answer in their question. Mm -hmm. Those are my favorite. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I haven't seen nothing that I can think of at a conference. I'm sure some of our professors, mentors would probably have ideas. I think that was more the vibes in the 80s and 90s probably when they were all of these different schools of anthropological thought mm -hmm. and they would go to each other's talks and they would just be like well i can't believe that you would say this when eric wolf said this and you know i completely disagree with you so wow. i'm sure more of that happened back in the day but now people just kind of seem to mind their own business that said if something like that does happen to you where there's a critique as comment as question or something like that most of the time people will just remember how much of an asshole the other person was mm -hmm. and they won't really think about you know they won't think that you're that you're stupid or that you don't know enough or that you haven't read enough they'll just be like wow that guy's and it's usually a guy right <laughs> that guy's a dick let's be real let's be and real and then the other thing that they'll remember about the conference is how much fun they had with their friends they'll just be like i had so much fun doing this and wow that guy's such a jerk you know i remember who the biggest jerk at the conference was that's it but that said i think that specifically when it's a graduate student or a student in general who's presenting, I think that it's really up to other professors and senior scholars to actually stand up and say that what they're doing is actually inappropriate. Um, I think that they should say it publicly mm -hmm. so that people know that this is not this this is not the space, right? You're making these remarks towards junior scholars, graduate students, people who are trying to make a contribution to our discipline. And what you're doing is trying to break them down and discourage mm -hmm. them. And that's doing a disservice to the entire field. And I think that I would, I, if that does happen, I would love to see a scholar just stand up and say, you know, I hope that you really, you know, you take the constructive parts of my colleagues' comments, don't be discouraged. Um, and senior scholar, you're out of, you're out of line. <laughs> yeah, I think I really like that. I think that would be, something inspirational to see I most of the time when you know um those kind of harmful things happen people just kind of stand by and you know they'll come up to you afterwards and be like oh my god he's saying basically calling you a nigger and your and his response <laughs> to your paper <laughs> how are you you know how are you doing and it's are like, you okay yeah, yeah are you okay oh my god do you want to talk about this and it's like you know i have people to talk to i have friends um you know i what i needed I, was for you to help create an, an institutional and structural space where it is safe for us to give our papers that's right. not to say don't critique and, us right because i don't want i i know that people are like oh my gosh these snowflake students these days who just need their hands held that's not what i'm saying but people can mm -hmm. just be disrespectful for no reason right and i can i can I welcome a critique that is like grounded in 
seeing my work expand and grow and be more excellent. Mm -hmm. I don't welcome critiques that are aimed at, at me as a person, aimed at my intelligence, aimed at my thinking in the, in the sense of like, again, well, why? Because I've had that um, in undergrad when I started, you know, started my academic career, had questions literally aimed to attack me as a person and to say, well, you like literally, I remember this white woman telling me there's no way that you could possibly care about women because all you do is focus on black women and that like shit like that it will make me come up across the table and smack you in your face (laughs) like I don't you know but but that's like Kombahi River Collective humbly disagrees look see and see that might be where I go to after I smack you in the face maybe I'll come back to myself and say you know what actually (laughs) they would not want me to live this kind of life let me back up let me back up what would Audre Lorde do she would just write a paper telling you off so let me just write a scathing paper like let me just do that that's Um, the kind that's the kind of thing that i would love to see her you know when you know the paper that she gave where she was talking to the group but she was like what you guys are doing is not really that great i can't believe that i'm here and i'm like this is this is the kind of stuff that i need to see that's what i I, we miss we missed all that stuff in the 80s and 90s right it's like oh the check cleared okay um so Here's what I have to say. The master's uh, tools will not dismantle <laughs> the master's home. <laughs> Deeply misread people. Deeply misquoted. Um, anyways. Okay. So this is, this is a big one. How do I socialize at an academic conference? Advice on how to connect with other students and scholars. Someone was like, I'm so shy. Don't worry me too. <laughs> and I said, I this shy. is a question for Brendan because... I am an introvert, so <laughs> I don't socialize. I just cling on to other people who are more sociable and still manage to give standoffish. But, you know, what What can I do? I don't you know. know, life is life. <laughs> life is life. Let's see. I basically, to give you um, an understanding of who I am, I grew up my formative adolescent years um, in a Christian kind of a fundamentalist Christian environment in which we would knock on people's doors and preach to them about Jesus. Mm. So shame, what is she? Who is she? I feel her sometimes, but when it comes to talking to people, I guess that kind of has been, uh, pushed out of me. So, um, and my mother's also, she's taught me a lot about uh, advocating for myself and, and not letting other people determine my life too much. Um, that was one excellent lesson that she taught me. And so for me, socializing, socializing at academic conferences usually involves, if I know someone who's there, hitting, up being, hitting them up and being like, hey, let's hang out. Um, if I don't know someone who's going to be there, then I go to, if I'm at a panel and I see other people who look like they're around um, my stage, so like other kind of graduate students, 
or things like that. And then I might introduce myself and say, oh, hey, you know, I'm Brendan, show my little badge, whatever, um, um, or compliment their outfit or um, hair, if it, I like their hair, like a genuine compliment and just be like, you know, oh, you know, who are you, where you're from? And, and usually just try to like build organic connections in that way. Um, and try to like build friends in that way. I think it also helps that I'm a Gemini and I know a lot, no, I know a little about a lot of things. So <laughs> normally I'm able to enter into conversations, even if I only know a couple keywords and then I'll just like kind of hang and listen. Um, and sometimes people approach you at a conference, even if you're not presenting, if, if they're interested in like something about you just speaks to them, they might approach you. Um, but one thing with students, if they have like student meetups or mentoring sessions, I highly encourage people to go to those because that's like an easy way to socialize. Cause it's actually built into the event. Like you're supposed to talk to people. And then usually from those events, you find out who's cool and who's <laughs> someone to know. Um, and that's the distinction I'm gonna make. And, <laughs> you know, someone to hang out with and someone to know. And you can go from there. Yeah. So basically, just be born with it. <laughs> join, no, join, oh, a, oh, join, oh, a, join a fundamentalist join a Christian cult. Join a cult <laughs> and you'll be able, you'll shake yourself out of any type of fear. Just kidding. Fear, Except shame, fear of rejection. <laughs> yes. I will say, I think it's really important to attend the social events. And mm -hmm. as you were saying earlier, affinity groups, things like that. And it's also, especially if you're in, you're trying to make friends, looking for groups of people who will read your work and actually give mm, you mm -hmm. constructive feedback. Um, also, if you're just networking in general, I think it's actually important to go out. <laughs> Those evening events, uh, that's where the connections are really built. That's where you start seeing people's secrets that you will hide and that make you feel connected mm. uh to people you might be somebody conference bay and not even know it honey meet a conference meet a conference bay or <laughs> witness someone with their conference bay mm. that they're not supposed to be seen in public with and from then on you no i'm kidding um <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into the 44 laws of power or whatever um <laughs> that's another that's another episode because I didn't read the book, of course, but I read about the book and I was like, this is some sick shit. But anyways, um, so I've read I've read how to in, to win friends and influence people. I did read mm -hmm. that as OK. A, was that as helpful? adolescent? And those are that's one of the books that they put on the list of like things you should for, look out for for Nick Sells. Yes. <laughs> the Nick like, book. I was, I was at eleven. I'm like taking notes on how to um, how to have conversations with people and all these things. So maybe I know know some psychopathy something. So, <laughs> so I think so. I think you can approach senior academics, your peers, ask them about you know their work, and maybe even invite them to have a coffee. I know I did that last. Um, I did that at AAA last year. But I think it'll be those little little parties and the after parties that you'll solidify bonds, create memories that connect you to others. Um, and just have fun. 
don't go overboard, you know, be vigilant about your personal safety, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're like me and networking, quote unquote, or socializing gives you anxiety, I recently read How to Be Yourself, Quiet Your Inner Critic, and Rise Above Social Anxiety. And I actually, I found it to be incredibly helpful. Um, so I just, I strongly recommend that book, it's very much based in, in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. So there are exercises, you go out, you practice them and it helps. And if you're like, okay, I ain't got money for all of this, then you can use the Libby app, which I just discovered, that's how I got it. And you sign up with your public library card or even your university library card, and you can borrow books and audiobooks for free. Boom. Amazing, this is why libraries should be around all right we are oh, running short on time as we always do we're running over time is basically what's happening what should we do what do you like least about conferences how should i dress what's um, your top piece of advice should we just go to straight to top piece of advice yeah all right so our final question what is your top piece of advice for attending academic conferences? Um, I would say don't put pressure on yourself to be perfect and um, to be at every single event possible. Um, you will be exhausted by the time you leave. And you might not also have the uh, the time and the bandwidth to actually build authentic connections that will carry you throughout your career. So I know it might sound like a lot of like baloney, but honestly, <laughs> being being very choosy about who you spend your time with really allows you to like reserve your energy and your time and reduce a lot of the stress and the anxiety that comes with being at conferences. Um and yeah, I just, for me, I only go to the events that I truly, truly, truly find interesting um, and everything else. I'm just like, you know, I, if it's important to me, it'll come back to me. That's how I feel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. In me, the abundance mindset. <laughs> another, no, that's an another thing that I'm working on. I was I'll just say this on the podcast, but I was panicking about this wedding. I was just like, why am I doing this? Why am I having this big wedding when I could be doing X, Y, Z? And then I realized that I'm in this like scarcity mindset where I just think that this is the only opportunity that I'm going to have to do the other things that I would like to do. This is the only time I'm going to have this much money to do the things that I want to do with X amount of money. So it's like, I guess I can just, you know, try to try to live in an abundance mindset yes <laughs> and expect what? that these opportunities this money this time is going to come back to me again in the future what this is, the this is the least amount of money the least amount of money we're going to make moving forward like that well is... yeah there's definitely that but period least amount of money we're going to make going forward so but when i'm making more money i'll have less time so there it is you know it depends it depends that said this is the most money i've made in my life so because I I only worked full time for one <laughs> for one year in my life, <laughs> and then I was freelancing the rest of the time. So, anyhow, um, <laughs> that goes to tell you. But I was like, you know, traveling and living abroad. Anyways, nobody cares about that. They want to know about academic conferences. 
And my top piece of advice is be selective about the, the panels that you attend. Mm-hmm. Very similar to what, to what you were saying. It's just be choosy about how you spend your time, right? Don't, don't spend the whole day at panels. Leave and take a nap for an hour or something because otherwise you'll just, you'll be exhausted. So the way that I choose panels is based on my personal research interests. So if it's like food, heritage, environment, agriculture, Caribbean, black feminism, whatever, those panels, great. Check them off. If I get to them, I get to them. I also look for panels that just sound interesting because I'm curious to know what people are talking about, what's what's growing and developing in the field, what should I be looking out for, what's something sexy that I can put in abstract in the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, like last year there was a celerities panel. So it was like, okay, what's that about? What are people talking about with, with solar, the sun, whatever. Um, and then occasionally, you know, there might be one person on a panel that I'm interested to, to meet or hear speak, in which case I may attend it, <laughs> maybe. Um, and then the final way that I make my choices is to support, support my colleagues, support my friends, support my peers. So if there's someone from my program, if Brendan is on a panel, then of course I'm going to go try to ask a smart question and um, just generally support, support the vibes. The last thing I'll say is get uh, the discount books. Usually at academic conferences, there will be a table um, or a room set up where the publishers are and they'll be selling books at a discount or they'll have flyers for discount codes for, for different publishers. So, you know, get your books at a discount. Yeah, books at a discount. And also those events, if you are, you know, you're at a conference because you're trying to get a job or you want to know how to turn your dissertation into a book. Like these are great opportunities to meet with publishers and editors and, you know, learn more about the tricks of the trade and just start building those relationships. So that way, when you send your book proposal or, or whatever out like they're like oh I know this name I know some of these words um and <laughs> yeah go from there but yeah this is it this is all we have for y'all today this was a nice like it's a nice episode nice way yeah, to watch we, we really Chipotle. thought we were like oh just relax just make sure that you're enjoying the social events we thought oh people would be listening to this during the triple a's but I think that people will be too busy socializing and attending panels. So <laughs> maybe we should have released this episode last week, but hopefully people will listen while they're there. <laughs> we will also be at AAA um, at the booth, the um, AAA podcast library booth. Um, where it is, I don't know yet. I <laughs> Honestly, I have not studied the email yet, but we will be there. Um, so be on the lookout for an announcement for us from us. Um, if you want to meet me in person, unfortunately, Alyssa's not going to be there in person this year. Um, but if you would like to meet us in person, uh, and you know, have a chat, we'll be there. Um, I will but- say save your pennies for 2023 though, because triple A's are in Toronto. <laughs> save Is your it? pennies. Or save your pennies. 
I'm pretty sure it's 2023. If it's not, whatever. For whichever one is in Toronto, save your pennies because I'm going to be there. We going out. We going to get Liddy. Call it a... All right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I cannot wait. Save them coins. It's going to be cold. So I don't Can you know imagine how... that they did a conference in your city? Now they're doing a conference in my city. It's like... Are they just planning this for us? You know, maybe. <laughs> These are our Should they? Should they? <laughs> Probably so. Should they? You think pay? they'll put me on the bingo this time? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Should lobby for that. Uh... <laughs> put me on the... I still didn't get a prize. I finished my AAA bingo or my ABA bingo and I didn't get a prize or anything. Yo, who do we talk to about that? <laughs> Where are the prizes? Um, Last year, I was the only one who got check meet Brendan. <laughs> yes, my incognito days. Um, <laughs> they're numbered. They're numbered. Uh, but now, but now, now your sister locks have matured. <laughs> now I can be seen. Now oh, you, man. now you finish the field work, so I can be visible. <laughs> And ask questions, answer questions. I don't know, but yeah. Um. Also, if you're gonna be at AAA, I'm on a panel Friday evening. Uh, we're talking about different types of storytelling and ethnography, so it should be fun. I'll be reading a piece of a poem and sharing some of my insights from my field work. So. And apparently it's not live streamed, so I unfortunately won't be there. But if someone would like to live stream it for me via WhatsApp. I would appreciate that. Feel free to Ooh, that's that. what I'll do. I'll just get someone to hold the phone. Okay. Hold the phone up. Be very <laughs> black family at graduation. Just, just yes. Yeah. time. Okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is all that we have for y'all today. Thank you all for listening. And this episode was produced by Alyssa James and Brendan Times and distributed in partnership with the American Anthropological Association. This season of the podcast is generously funded by a grant from the Arts and Science Graduate Council, the Heyman Center, Public Humanities Graduate Fellowship, and donations from listeners just like you. Thank you all for your support. If you like this episode, please share it via social media, WhatsApp, or loudspeaker. We'd love to hear what you have to say about this episode, so be sure to follow us on Instagram at Zora's Daughters and on Twitter at Zora's underscore daughters. For transcripts, syllabi, and information on how to cite us or become a patron to access exclusive content, visit our website, zorasdaughters.com. Last but certainly not least, uh, remember that we must take care of ourselves and each other. Bye. Bye.